Star Trek The Motion Picture is often regarded as a giant misstep by fans, critics, and even those involved in making it. Many will tell you to skip straight to The Wrath of Khan and forget that the debut Trek movie even exists. We're here today to dispel such heresy and praise the beautiful spectacle that is The Journey to V'ger. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings citizens. This is a science fiction movie podcast. We get together every week and we talk about a sci-fi movie we watched. And in this episode we are discussing a vote winner because every month on patreon.com slash TV, our patrons at $5 and up get to vote between four films and all four movies... Uh, actually not all four two, two because both of us have birthdays in May so two of them were movies I love that we haven't done yet and two of them were movies that Tara loves that we hadn't done yet and one and of Tara's who do the Patreons love more? well we never told them <laughs> whose movies were whose now admittedly they probably guessed that Star Trek the motion picture belonged to you the self-proclaimed Star Trek superfan but uh, I did see people guessing correctly on the others when they were talking. Like, I heard people say they thought one was someone else's, and I don't remember what the other options were now, to be honest. It's been too long. Uh, I picked this one in Tomorrowland. That's right. So, yeah, people thought Tomorrowland was mine. Mm-hmm. For some reason. Did you say it was a birthday vote? Uh, I can't remember how I phrased it. Okay. It's been too long. <laughs> so they knew it was a birthday thing, though? And that's probably why they wanted to give me a birthday present. Sure. Yes. Thank you, patrons. Yes. So (laughs) we're here today to talk about Star Trek, the motion picture, the original Star Trek movie, which came out in 1979. And, you know, it has a bit of an odd legacy in that it's shafted upon by most people because it's not that good, according to them. And then Wrath of Khan is the first proper good Star Trek movie. But we will discuss that. We will discuss so much more. We will start spoiler free. We'll give you some warning before we get into spoilers. And we'll take it from there. Um, now, obviously, Tara's seen, like, all of the Star Trek, basically, uh, ever. Um, I actually reviewed this movie once before with Connor, because we did the original series, and then we went into the movies, and we're actually on season six of Next Generation right now, which is why this isn't the start of, like, the Star Trek movies. We're not going to do Star Trek 2 anytime soon. Like, probably someday, but... This is yeah, a cal- someday. This, this is isn't cal- the start of a franchise or anything no. that we're doing. This is a, this is the one-off uh, to have some Star Trek fun. Uh, I think it had a new remaster that was, you know, this year. So That's it makes true. sense to go to it. Plus, I think part of this is that, you know, Discovery and Picard have not been good, despite Tara trying to convince herself of certain t- things at other times. Uh... I I th- I, th- I think in some level you wanted to just talk about you know good old fashioned Star Trek again because you were sick of me shitting on <laughs> modern Trek. That was not part of my decision. No. No. Okay. But it's but it's but it's a silver lining, right? It's a bonus. Well, I I, I know you like this movie, so I'm not <laughs> I'm not worried about it. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, we'll we'll get into it. So, I mean, the premise of Star Trek The Motion Picture is really quite simple. There is some kind of anomaly traveling towards the Earth. We see it destroy some Klingon vessels at the start of the film. 
and the Enterprise is the only starship at, at, at Earth, apparently. Uh, there's like, I thought, don't you have a good number of starships? Like, you would think there'd be a good number back at the, the dock, you know, back at the, the home base at any given time, but, you know, just the Enterprise. They're all on their five-year mission. Yeah. Uh, uh, but so Kirk has to assemble the crew, get his command back. We'll talk about how he does that, and because there's a lot of interesting things to talk about there, I think. And the Enterprise has to go out and try and encounter, possibly reason with whatever this is. Although as of yet, there's no communication with anything. It's it's more like a big cloud than anything else. But they do theorize there is a vessel of some kind at the center of it, you know, controlling and creating this. Yeah. So that is the that's the premise of motion picture mm -hmm. usually at this point i say tara did you like the movie i feel like it for this one it's a stupid question and uh you know so i, I guess i'll just say tara the floor is yours to make an opening statement <laughs> <laughs> well i'll answer it anyway yes i i love this film i think that's the motion picture you're right it does get um kind of poo-pooed by even a lot of trek fans people just don't like this movie i think uh when Wrath of Khan came to. There's like a famous, um, a famous movie reviewer that said, "No, this is more like it. This is what we've been waiting for," you know. But, but like, I think this movie's very special. It is very its own little bubble. <laughs> you know, the uniforms are very different. Uh, it's a very, it's almost art house in its style. Uh, it takes us a lot of, you know, it takes a lot of swings and uh, takes a lot of chances of how can we make Star Trek cool for a new audience, maybe like, well, we can make it more like 2001 or like Close Encounters or, um, you know, other Star Wars, you know, other big science fiction films of the 70s. And they come out with something that is very new, but also very familiar. I love all like the matte paintings and the model designs. I love all the, the Star Trek tropes that we get in this. Um, we get a lot of the, the Spock delivery that gets made fun of for, you know, Shatner. Plus, we get a lot of Shatner dialogue where he he does that sort of uh, text-to-speech style of dialogue. Um, I, I love it. I, 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 think, no, I, I think everybody involved has never looked better. Like, they all look good still. <laughs> um uh, I think, I think it's great. It's it's funny because when you watch this after watching the original series, everyone looks really old in it com comparatively. But then when you compare them in this to like the sixth movie, which was most of their last times as yeah. the characters, it's like oh shit, they, they, oh, they okay yeah they look young in this now <laughs> compared to that. <laughs> uh, I think they look. I think they all look great in this. Like this is before. I mean, Shatner's still wearing like a a corset underneath his uniform, but like he still looks good. James Doolan looks great in this too, and you know everyone looks good. Yeah. Um, although, notably, this is, is this the first time Scotty had the mustache? Because in the show, he didn't. In the show, he was clean shaven. Yep. I'm pretty uh, sure this is the first time. Yeah. That's uh, exciting stuff. Yeah. It? It's a lot of <laughs> lot of good introductions, you know. Enterprise gets an upgrade, and so does Scotty. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's address the, the moose in the room, uh, which is... <laughs> The Moose Knuckle? <laughs> yeah, so Moose Knuckle, for anyone who doesn't know what this is, and I didn't, Tara taught me this. I, I had no idea there was a term for this. So Moose Knuckle <laughs> is to men what camel toe is to women, right? That is what a Moose Knuckle is. Sure, um, yeah. 
And I don't know if it's just because we're watching these things in 4K now and everything's all pristine and remastered, but Star Trek for a time was obsessed with trying to do like One Piece jumpsuit kind of things, right? Obviously yeah. Next Gen had it when that started as well, but they, they were more like, uh, like leotards, where in here they're a bit more loose, right? So when Kirk first goes out of the bridge of the Enterprise and the camera does this, I don't even think it's him and he's arrived before that, but the camera's doing like a pan and it's like all the crew are in like, you know, fiddling with things and there's a guy who's stretching up to like, you know, put something up in the ceiling and as he does this, I swear, like his junk is just perfectly like sh- shaped and embodied through his suit and you can yeah. see it in its Thank glory. You, 4K remaster, yeah. And I'm just, I'm like, this was such an unfortunate choice that they, they they chose these outfits uh i think you mean like the best choice because <laughs> it just adds to the the detail that you can spot in the 4k uh-huh. remaster and this is the director's cut by the way who's been dead for quite a while but <laughs> this is what he wanted <laughs> i mean this was his last movie so yeah he's been gone for a while <laughs> yeah he actually didn't die till 2005 but he, you know he basically retired after this yeah, yeah. I think he had like one shot or something after this, but that was it. This was his last this is the film. director of The Day the Earth Stood Still. And also The Andromeda Strain. Yep. Films that we have both done. Uh, and some other movies that people know. Oh, yeah, he did like a. Oh, I say West Side Story? Maybe? Oh, yeah, that. that's kind of a big one. <laughs> yeah, this is a sci fi podcast. We don't care about stupid singing. And I. Uh, more singing, yes. None of that. Thank you. <laughs> Um, yeah, the outfits, I mean, that's the start there, the outfits. Uh, I think there's pros and cons to this. I think, what well, something I really noticed on this watch is that when Shatner's first coming aboard, like, he's got a really nice little, like, metal mm-hmm. emblem on his chest of the Starfleet logo. But, it, like, later on he loses that, and it, him and everyone else have these really crappy-looking stitched-on ones, and they look really shit <laughs> compared well, to, like, I mean, every other... the same as, as the, uh, I mean, the original series television show also had them just stitched on. They weren't, like, a... They weren't a communicator yet. They were just there to, you know, have the insignia of. Oh, I think this one like matches the color of it matches their, um, because they have that and they have the shoulder little. Uh, that's stripes. fine. I, I'm not. I'm not complaining that it's not a communicator. I, I'm just saying it looks bad because you could, especially maybe it's just because it's in four K now. But like it just looks frayed and it looks kind of cheap and nasty and tacked on. Whereas his the first one he has earlier in the film because it's metal it looks like a properly expensive thing that he's got on him like, I don't care that it does anything or not I just it just looks better because that's the thing some of the outfits look fine when it's because for a lot of the film he's got like a, a two piece and Spock there's and, so many different outfits yeah because yeah. I noticed in the ending as well uh, Kirk's finally switched to a onesie and I'm like when did he switch to a onesie but he's got a onesie now that's more of like a grey beige as opposed to a, a tan beige that he's had yeah. like the rest of the film. <laughs> I really like the outfit when he first comes on board with the, it's like the white and grey um, that's the best one that's the best one he has in the whole movie that's the one that's got a good badge it's got the best colour scheme because it's a little too yeah good, it's very sleek because it's got it, white and grey it feels a bit more dynamic even though it's still very muted in terms of a colour scheme I, I like the muted colours a lot uh, it reminds me of like the cage pilot um, I understand why they did it it was a big miss you know for the most part uh, I don't love the onesies, and I think some of the color combinations on people... Like, I don't like Ahura's uniform. She should have gotten a gray one. But I like uh, I like just how many variations there are of them, and I like the the muted colors. I think they went a bit far. Like, cause I, I know that the theory is that TV is a colorful medium, but film is more, you know, reserved and classy, and that's why it has to be 
more earth tones than than the TV show, but I do think a little highlight of the old color scheme would have went a long way just to make them pop. Just a little bit, just like a little rim around the collar or something, just enough to give it a little bit of uh, life would have well, been nice. Apparently the actors hated the onesies so much that they made them redesign the uniforms and that's when we get the red uniforms that are throughout the rest of the series. For uh, the yeah. Series crew. yeah, I'm pretty sure I cracked a joke uh, when I first did Wrath of Khan that there was some sort of like weird like, we're going to get rid of this red shirt stigma by having them all wear red. <laughs> well, you know, they keep bringing the same, <laughs> the, the same cast back also and, you know, as they get older they all get a bit dumpier and so they have to have uniforms that can help hide that a bit better. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's fair. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the Enterprise is the Enterprise. Uh, the bridge, it looks great. you know, it's a it's a higher budget version of the the bridge on the show. You know, are you having some? Oh, the cat difficulties. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he's trying uh, to knock my water over. <laughs> uh, so. Um, I think where I noticed the budget, though, compared to the TV show, other than just like the, the general, like, like how detailed everything is, is the the warp core, <laughs> like, like not only the warp core looking a bit fancier and far more like you know dynamic as far as a, like a practical like prop or on stage effect goes, but also the fact that there's like an entire crew of people helping run it, and I'm like, you couldn't afford all these extras <laughs> on the original show, and it's like six stories tall. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. It's now. like a missile. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's something that really sticks out when I watch this compared to the the original show, um, but yeah, well, like you said though, like things like the map paintings, the model work, like it is really great stuff, and it, it kind of bums me out that movies just can't look with this anymore because they just don't do, do these techniques, and it's a shame. Wait, I think my favorite moment is when we see Spock on Vulcan, like it's his introduction as to where mm. he is, and Vulcan looks awesome, like especially with this 4K and what they've done to like help jazz it up a bit uh there's like big statues of um they're doing the thing in a in a mock time <laughs> i can't remember the name of the fight um and uh spock has his like terrific haircut where he sort of looks like he's prince adam from masters of the well, universe it's not really a haircut i think the the implication i get from it is that he's let it go <laughs> and it's just growing he still has the bangs and it's just kind of yeah it's just this kind of wild like 70s rock punk like spark. It looks so cool. I love what, that. I wish what, we saw more Vulcans like that. Joe is so weird about it though, is that it's kind of the opposite of what his character's going through at the moment though, because his character's like getting ready to like purge what's left of any human emotion and yeah. his hair's probably the most expressive it's ever been. It's like the opposite. The of... and, and his uh, <laughs> outfit even too. It's very decorative. Mm, so... And, yeah. and the whole thing is like they give him a necklace at the end, like that's also very ornate. Like this is interesting. So so, what, yeah, so much new Vulcan lore. Some odd design choices, maybe with some of that, uh, in a sense. Um, so I actually didn't realize that uh, Mark Leonard usually plays. Uh, uh, Spock's dad's name again? I forget his name. Oh, Sarek. Sarek. He usually plays Sarek. He actually played like the Klingon at the start of the movie. Oh, he did. I didn't know that. Yeah, it says Mark Leonard is Klingon captain. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I never made that connection. Well, I mean, obviously he's covered in the Klingon makeup, so you... And that's actually really important as well. This is the first time... You, I mean, it's not exactly like next-gen's Klingons. Obviously, they still tweak it a little bit after this, but it's obviously a lot closer than the original series. Like, this is definitely yeah. the, the shift to the, the more kind of, like, thick, ridged heads with the brown 
like pain and yeah, stuff. Yeah, less problematic. Yes, yes. They're more distinctly alien as opposed to being kind of oddly, like, a human. faced Yeah. <laughs> so. They they had, like, a shimmer thing going on in the in the 60s show. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting, actually, that, like, they made a point of doing that in the opening. Because the Klingons aren't a big part of this movie. They're, they're just kind of, they're, they're just what this thing runs into first to show us that this big thing is dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and they die, right? They get vaporized. And it's like, okay, all right. But they made a point of saying, no, we're going to show off these new Klingons and we're going to make sure people know what a Klingon looks like now. And, and they have a new theme and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that leads us into the music. I, I think Jerry Goldsmith's score here is the best Star Trek has ever sounded. I don't, oh, totally. I do not think that any... And it's not that they've not had good scores since on the movies or the TV shows, but I don't think... Like, the way that that motion picture main theme slowly comes in as Kirk is practically undressing the Enterprise with his eyes. Oh like, my god, he is so in love. See, see when, see when the, the little shuttle turns round and you just hear the brass of the main like mel- melody come in? It is magical. And for people who will say that this movie, uh, you know, lingers around and draws things out too much like maybe there's points where i'll agree they could have trimmed it a little bit but i will not Never. take us i will not take a single frame out of this enterprise if introduction it's too short <laughs> i will not take Scotty a single frame taking another lap <laughs> <laughs> just bring her around again one more time and obviously there's a bullshit reason why like oh the teleporters aren't working we have to take a shuttle just just so just to give the excuse so that we can do this <laughs> so we get the big sweeping but it, like it lets it just gives oh, the music so a chance good. to sing and the music yeah. is good throughout he, he sprinkles in like the classic theme peter there but like his main theme is great and that's why they used it for next gen obviously they chose they chose to repurpose that because it was such a good theme um and i do love it in next gen but i, I think it's never stronger than in this movie because in this movie it's so beautiful because this movie is way more attractive to look at than anything in next gen oh yeah it's very majestic and i think one of the things that the music benefits from is that it's a lot more varied so like you get to hear the main theme in slower versions you get to hear the main Mm -hmm. theme in darker versions yeah there's a lot more uh variety to it and you know ups and downs and so on but yeah, well, the music's wonderful, and the music combined with the visuals, the great practical effects, and the models and the opticals and all that stuff. And I think fundamentally, you know, to sort of bring it back around to why I like this movie, on top of all those things that obviously add a lot to it and make up a lot of it, but is that, to me, the simple story of there's something weird out there in front of the ship, we have to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. To me, that is what Star Trek was. That That is particularly the original series more than the, the rest of them but that's what it was it was the mystery of that thing out there we have to try and figure it out and reason with it in some way or defeat it or whatever it may be yeah. and the first star trek movie being just a big 2001-esque version of that makes sense to me and to me feels like the perfect thing you do for the first star trek movie and of course people say it's too slow and it's too this and it's too that but shatner said that too yeah, well, Shannon's wrong. I mean, Shannon directed Star Trek Five, and we all know how that turned out. So, <laughs> you mean the best Star Trek? Shut up. <laughs> That'll be on next year's birthday list. No, no, whoa, 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 whoa! Just because we're not going straight through does not mean we're skipping entries. No, 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 no. Well, then it is the start of a franchise. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you can do that for a special birthday. We'll see. 
Okay, that that can be when you turn a certain age. This is my show. <laughs> I'm turning a certain age this year. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean, like a, you know, a milestone age. Like fifty. <laughs> sure, fifty. Yeah. It's so long from now. What what age? Yes, I agree. You're young. You you, you got so many <laughs> years ahead of you. It's my thirty seventh birthday. Um, but. Yeah, what age was Shatner when he did Star Trek V? That's the age we can do Star Trek V. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I know what age I was when Star Trek V came out. What year was Star Trek V? 1989. Oh, it was? Yeah. Yeah, you were zero. I was yeah, I was born in 1989, so... Uh, voila. <laughs> it's a good year. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. too much birthday talk. Yes, so music's wonderful. But yeah, the thing I like about it is, is in terms of the plot, is that it is this simplistic Star Trek. There's something weird out there. It's this mysterious thing, and we'll get you know we'll get to spoilers. We'll talk about what it ends up being and the mystery of it and all that. But it's intriguing, and like there's even a sequence that is very 2000. I mean, there's a lot of like slow ship stuff, which is kind of 2001. But there's a there's a Jupiter moment that's very 2001 with Spock. Uh, totally that is very yeah, inspired love, by that uh, with the visuals I love we get a lot of these like just random people floating through space mm-hmm. in like these new suits that are also very 2001 like to me oh they definitely are yeah they're, they're uh, thruster suits that they that wear when they're outside yeah 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 they're, they're all like that red 2001 suit for sure mm-hmm. so yeah I mean you can see there's some influence because it was funny is that obviously this essentially became into being because they were going to do like the phase two tv show which obviously they ended up doing the next generation which kind of was what, what in a way what it was but um they turned it ended up doing a movie instead because star wars was such a hit right star wars came out and was this phenomenon and it was like oh we should do a movie instead of a tv show we should try and capitalize on that and it is funny to me that the movie they made to start with at least obviously star trek 2 onwards is a bit more star warsy but the first one isn't star warsy at all the first one is a bit of 2001, like you say, it's a bit uh, Close Encounters-y, which is still relevant and newish at the time. That was just 70, that was the same yeah. year Star Wars. But, yeah, it's, it's and funny. And a huge hit, also. And it's, 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 what's so funny about it is that it's kind of a debate that's still going on to this day, not just about this film, but about Star Trek in general and about how modern Star Trek is too action-y when it should be a bit more explorative and... I think I think the thing that... Actually, season four of Discovery is a lot like the DMA plotline is a lot like this, like V'ger. Yeah, obviously there's a lot more action in it because it's still modern Trek, but yeah. Sure. Uh, but, you know, that, that, I think that's interesting because I would say that Next Gen, in many ways, what it added to Star Trek's legacy is the other main thing I think about with Star Trek is the moral, like, quandaries when they're stuck in a position where it's like, what's the right thing to do here when someone's mm-hmm. rights are being challenged or something like that? And so... And I'll be curious to see when I do watch Deep Space Nine if I if I have like a oh this is what this added to what I expect from Star Trek now kind of thing. But it does it does sort of change things quite a bit. Yeah. So, but it's just it's interesting that we still have a debate about what Star Trek should be at this point. And that's not to say that Wrath of Khan and like the the movies that follow betray like what I think this does right about Star Trek because I don't think they do. But uh, it's just just it's interesting to compare think about it and think about how that debate is still going on i love how this movie also like there's a huge arc for mostly for spock which continues on through the next films by quite a bit but like spock's 
journey with Kolinar and what he has to go through and his um, sort of attachment to this, you know, mysterious anomaly thing or why he's drawn to it, I think is very, it, it, it's done really well. Like um, a lot of people kind of skip over the story when they talk about the movie because, you know, they talk about the visuals and stuff. But yeah. I think Spock's journey in this film is actually really interesting and really good. I, I like Spock's character arc in this. I think that Kirk also has uh, Kirk definitely some does. as well. I mean, he's kind of faced with his own hubris in a way. And, um, you know, it's almost like, yeah, we're getting... Kirk's midlife crisis as well. And you know what? I, I do think, even though I really like the movie, I will say the weakest parts of it probably are the kind of the new characters that are there because they have to like go through certain things by the end. Like I like Decker quite a bit, actually. I don't dislike Decker, but I, I, I do think he's a little bit bland and he kind of exists for the purpose that he's going to serve by the end. And I will say, this is not the movie's fault, because obviously this came first, but his name's so close to Deckard that it was distracting. Dist every time I watch it, it's distracting. Well, I think he's meant to be the son of Commodore Decker from uh, the... Um, oh, what's the name of the... The, the Doomsday Machine. Ah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, which is probably why he has some disdain for Kirk on top of what Kirk pulls in the beginning of the film. <laughs> Yeah, because he's uh he's he's the captain of the Enterprise, and Kirk kind of takes it away from him. So we'll get into all that stuff. Uh, we'll get into yeah. spoilers properly, but that that's kind of where we're starting with their their characters and like how they clash with each other. So yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff to love in the motion picture, and I I, I think well it does maybe have some faults, and there is there's a couple of like you know. Uh, minor acting roles that I do think are a bit ropey like see the two people who are on the space station near the start who report back to Starfleet like they are terrible <laughs> like their their line <laughs> delivery is atrocious but you just gotta roll with it yeah uh, as far as the uniforms go just to touch on that I, the security officers have like this weird shape oh the gladiator vest thing it, no, and they have the, the head the headpiece it's like a yeah it's like something you wear in gladiators when you're you've got the big q-tips you know right. the big yeah yeah the big cotton buds the thing that uh Riker and his dad used to like battle each other yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah they have like a football armor but like their bulletproof vest like goes down to cover up their junk too which i'm sure they appreciate but like there's no bullets in Star Trek. It's all phasers. So it's it's a bit odd. I, I don't love that uniform. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's abandoned for the next movie. So they clearly looked yeah. at that and went, yeah, we don't like that. That was, that was, that was a bad move. <laughs> Imagine if they saw that in Next Gen and Worf had to walk around wearing this thing because he's a security chief. Well, he couldn't wear a helmet. <laughs> he could. They could design a big one for him. It'd be, it'd be too big. <laughs> His head wouldn't clear like the, the P-ways. <laughs> oh that's good stuff uh yeah so yeah uh, star trek the motion picture i think is unjustifiably maligned and Agreed. it's not my favorite star trek movie because the voyage home favorites. exists yeah. oh okay <laughs> but it's I, I it I like it more than several of the, you know, the others. Like I I like it more than five for sure. I like it more than six. Uh, I like it more than three. And depending on what day you ask me, I may say I like it more than Wrath of Khan. And I know that's a weird opinion, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I actually I probably like this one slightly more than Wrath of Khan. Oh, look at us being controversial. Yeah. I just think it's so neat. It's such a cool Star Trek movie. Plus, it, it kind of combines two things that I love, which is, you know, Star Trek and 70s sci-fi movies. It is very 
it looks like a 70s movie and it's the you only know, like one we've seen because it's 1979 and after this yeah. they're all 80s and they're all well, 80s and like after this one they all kind of look the same mm. until you get to the next gen films yeah uh, which i like the original series f- films more than i like the next gen ones too i think everyone does to be fair yeah 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 you know people like first a lot of people like first contact not everyone does but not many people like the other three <laughs> next gen movies that much so i like genesis a lot or not Gen- generation excuse genesis. me <laughs> I, I don't remember the phil collins star trek movie <laughs> <laughs> generations i like that one a lot um and i mean honestly i like them all but uh yeah if i'm if i'm putting a ranking the, the motion picture is pretty high on my list yes but you're notoriously uh a star trek apologist so well i mean i'm a fan so like if you're giving me more of something i love then yeah <laughs> it's good yes thank you straight to my veins please. <laughs> I, I still need it to be good when i like something to what you know when i want more of it, I need, it also well, to be i good. appreciate it when it's good but they're all good like the, the baseline <laughs> is good you know <laughs> across the board if any of the films that people don't like were episodes, they would be like, oh, those are some of the best episodes of Star Trek. Oh, they wouldn't. Shut up. You're just making baseless accusations, though. <laughs> I don't think so. Star Trek Five would be shit as an episode. It's shit as a movie. Oh, Star Trek Five is so good. Star Trek Five. is I mean, bad. we're probably never going to cover it, so I'll just say it now. Like, what? Star what? Trek Five <laughs> is, didn't. like, when you're a fan of William Shatner, <laughs> it's such a slice into his brain. It's like eating chocolate cake, <laughs> you know, because it's Look. just so it's written and directed by him. And he was a Star Trek writer for the while. He came up with novels for a while. And like the fact that it opens with this man who has the body of Winnie the Pooh free soloing the El Capitan <laughs> mountain <laughs> in what, like his 60s. Oh, so much hubris. I just, uh, I love Shatner. I'm not saying it's not, at times, an entertaining train wreck, but it is not a good movie. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's still good. Row, 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 row your boat. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, all right. I, I, I will say spoilers so we can talk about uh, everything in Star Trek, the motion pictures. You have been warned from this point forth there will be spoilies for Star Trek. Uh, so, can we talk about possibly the darkest moment in Star Trek history, which is just randomly in the first, like, chunk of this movie. Uh, yeah. So, out of nowhere, so, so Scotty mentioned the transporters are down when Kirk goes up to the Enterprise, and that's why he takes the shuttle and stuff. But then they're, like, they think they've got them online, so they're beaming in, like, who's supposed to be the, the science officer, the Vulcan that we see with Kirk briefly when he arrives at Starfleet. Yeah, his box replacement. Yeah. And someone else, they're beaming up to the ship. And then, like, oh, but they start to lose the signal, and they start to, and we hear some screaming as they sort of disappear, and everything goes quiet. And then Kirk says, uh, "Starfleet, do you have them?" And the guy in the voice that over the comms just says, "What we got back didn't survive long, thankfully." <laughs> and I'm like, "That is dark. like, I'm, I'm imagining like a David Cronenberg s mutation like arrive well, back." You sort of get like images of it. You don't see <laughs> too much, but like you see these like. Uh, humanoid shapes and then you see them start to deform a bit to where they're not quite as humanoid or not a humanoid that you would recognize anymore this, before they get sent back with the shrieks 
this is so dark and it's so, it's super dark and it's also doesn't really feel like it like feeds into the rest of the movie that much because no the only time it ever comes up is maybe well the maybe faintest connection is that when mccoy comes on board he doesn't want to take the transporter and, and kirk's like what do you mean he has to take the transporter everybody <laughs> takes the transport like wait did you not remember what happened like 10 minutes ago <laughs> uh maybe it shows you how like up his own ass kirk is that he's already forgotten that the two horrible deaths that happened on his watch <laughs> i wonder if that was like an added scene or something uh it just if it, it's so randomly dark and like body horror oh, and i, I kind of like it it's very memorable like i like the moment be, it could be an added scene because originally um Leonard Nimoy wasn't going to be in the movie because uh the uh, Paramount or whatever still owed him royalties so he wasn't going to do it so maybe this Spock replacement this science officer uh this Vulcan science officer that Kirk said he wanted hmm. <laughs> was actually going to be in the whole film and so instead they're like oh we got Leonard Nimoy to sign up let's just kill him off <sighs> The only problem with that is that implies they're shooting the movie in order. Unless they shot, like, so many different scenes then replaced Spock with where this guy was. But given how much the character dynamics between Spock and Kirk are a big thing for the the back half of the movie, I can't really believe they did that. So... Well, I mean, I think they started shooting the film without Leonard Nimoy involved. Sure, but movies get shot in order. So I'm not... Like, I I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong in saying that this was, like, a tacked in scene to... I don't know, deal I'm with... saying it's a possibility because yeah. of the situation, but and because they never talk about it again, and they just allow McCoy to beam up through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe this was like just a way to write him out. Maybe they they had like all the good ideas for the rest of the like Spock stuff. I mean, maybe it trans. Maybe it was just gonna be this other guy's arc because he was just like because because he wasn't Spock, he didn't have a connection to humans yet, so he was going to start off in that like cold Spock state, whereas Spock's got a different reason for it uh, from what mm-hmm. we see him, but. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So I think we'll save Vija, right? We'll save all the the stuff with the plot for later, and we'll just talk about the character arcs just now, because I think though that'll be neater sure. and how to talk. And I think Kirk, first of all, Jerry Goldsmith, the way his entrance, you know, the camera goes up to the little window on the the shuttle. It's like the, the main theme kicks in when you see his face. It's like, all right, okay, you got me hyped. Glorious. You got me hyped. Uh, with the great toupee. So Kirk has already decided, because what's going on, he's like, in an hour's time after this meeting with the Admiral, I'm going to be commanding the Enterprise. And he goes aboard the Enterprise, we get the whole big, you know, this gawk at the ship scene with Scotty. He comes aboard, and he goes to the bridge, and it's nice to see, you know, Ahura, Chekhov, and Sulu, they're all happy to see him, and they're, they're excited, and they've just found out that he's going to be captaining the ship again, and it's kind of a big thing. But I think it's Ahura who says right before he goes off to see Decker, he's, she's like, he doesn't know yet, sir. And it's yeah, like, it's oh. her or Sulu, yeah, yeah, who says that. Like, he doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Just so, so you're ready. So he goes down to engineering. Do you like seeing a young Bester? Oh, very funny. <laughs> very funny. Yes, yes. I, I just am surprised he hadn't brought it up already. Well, because he's still Chekhov first. <laughs> it's not like he's short of Babylon 5 referencing just because he's in that. <laughs> which we're currently watching yeah we are yes we're in uh very late season four currently uh so he goes down to speak to decker and it's funny because he, he says something to scotty about making sure the ship because scotty's been like complaining and whinging about how like do we need to launch in 12 hours that you can't, that can't, you can't be serious captain like that's not possible um well we know how scotty talks 
we, we do yes if i just saw his episode of next gen recently which kind of like retroactively explained <laughs> how scotty operates how he lies yeah. about time frames so he looks like a miracle worker and i think it's hilarious uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh he gives he gives this kind of like you know this better be operational and scotty's like i can't i sir because he knows that he's in command now but he knows decker doesn't know yet so he's trying not to like take it as an order like directly right well he is an admiral <laughs> yes he is, an, well, he is an admiral but obviously he's taking the ship back uh he tells I, decker I love that we see everybody on the crew just like in each room that uh that kirk visits mm -hmm. like people are just assembling the ship like they're oh, yeah, just they're putting just... it all together well, because they can afford extras on this. <laughs> well, I mean, I love that it's, you know, it's not just a refit for the Enterprise. Like, it's still under construction when they have to leave. Yeah. Well, well, I think that's, that's one of the jokes that I make as well, is that when he, he gets everyone in the, like, the, the big, like, cargo hold or whatever it is for, for, to, to, to tell them what they're doing before they launch, I'm like, the original series, because they could only afford so many actors and extras and stuff, like you never saw this many people on that show together, so it just it, it just the scale of the, the movie feels so big because we see a crowd of like a couple of hundred people. Yeah, it feels Actually, huge. The trivia that um, most of them are like fans, uh, super fans of the show, who like try to like write into the CBS or whoever to try to keep the show around ah. um, and stuff like that. So they were rewarded as being extras for this scene. What a bunch which is of so nerds! Yeah, but it's so funny to look at now because, like, when I see Star Trek nerds, I see a lot bigger people than what we see here. Like, they're all super fit. Like, those are the Star Trek nerds of the 70s. Wow, they've changed so much. They're still skinny nerds. <laughs> they're still skinny nerds, yes. You're right. No, what that says is they, is they vetted them. Like, they still had them come in for, like, fittings and stuff and said, no, you don't fit the suits we made. Go away. That's we what they did. We need a letter as, as to, or an essay as to why you want to be in this film and your headshot. <laughs> Yeah, you know, they, they, they genuinely probably did vet them. Like, they, they didn't just accept everyone who showed up, so... Yeah. You know, I, 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 that, that makes sense They don't to me. look like the Star Trek nerds that I've seen at conventions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they look like me. <laughs> People were just a lot fitter back then, that's all. <laughs> well, yeah, don't, don't, don't disagree with what I just said. Just, <laughs> just make another general statement that damns me. I only know what you look like from here up. <laughs> anyway, um... So yeah, he tells Decker that he's taking the ship back, and Decker you know, gives him some shit for it. He's not happy about it. He thinks Kirk's you know, making up. Get it. He's like, I don't know if you are actually sued for this. I mean, yeah, you spent five years out in the Enterprise, and you encountered a lot of things like this because we saw that that was in the show. Yeah. But that ship has got has been retrofitted with all this new technology. Things have changed. You, you don't know the ship that well. I do. So yeah, I don't we know. We need if Decker as he's actually solving a, a problem in engineering that Scotty presumably didn't wasn't able to solve. Yeah. So like he does know the ship. So it it does present you with like a reason why maybe Kirk is being egotistical and he is like take because we know he loves being in the Enterprise. We know he loves being a captain of a starship. He loves being out there right yeah that, that's broad especially in repeatedly. other films too we learn that you know when he tells picard like if they offer you admiral don't take it hmm yeah uh but she does actually because he's an admiral <laughs> in, in well picard. eventually he does get pretty old yeah <laughs> so you know that is what it is uh but that's that's kind of that character arc though that is kind of set up here where Kirk is constantly challenging Decker, and Decker's challenging Kirk, you know, because Decker's... I mean, Decker has been a little pissy at times, but at the same time, he does kind of 
solve problems. He does yeah. point out valid things that Kirk was missing. Um, obviously, the big example is when Kirk and like he forces them to go into warp when they don't. They're not sure if the ship's ready to actually travel at warp speed yet, and it creates this wormhole problem. Which this is where we get all the slow like trail effects, and they're all kind of like you know moving slow and talking like in slow motion. And, and there's an asteroid there with them. <laughs> and Kirk's going to use the phasers, and Decker has to jump in and say, no, no, don't do that. And he goes over and solves the problem. And it turns out that because of the way the ship has been retrofitted, that the the phaser power goes through the the engine or something. You know, it, it, basically, it would have caused like a, an explosion. Like, it would have been like a, a dire situation. It's like Kirk's like, has to accept it. If his order had been followed the way he said it, he would have made the disaster happen or worse or right. whatever. Um, right. And this constant, like, having to, like, accept this, and, of course, McCoy is his conscience, and he's there, like, saying, you're pushing Jim, you're, maybe Decker's right, Jim, you're, like, you're not quite, you know, following this. Yeah, I think it's an interesting decision to have, uh, like, it's a good way to bring Kirk back onto the Enterprise, is have him manipulate his way through, like, other admirals and stuff to, to convince them, but, like, I'm the right person for this job because we need this done fast and I have the most experience, you know, solving anomalies, you know, mm. so get me out there. But it is an interesting way to introduce our hero that we already know and love as somebody who is doing that, who's like pushing well, another captain out of their chair. I think it's great for two reasons. One, this is inherently far more interesting than just, you know, Starfleet look around. Oh, there's an anomaly. We need the hero. We need the hero of Starfleet, James Kirk. That's, that's how Shatner would have written this. Script, yes. <laughs> this is far more interesting. We need the best. But I think the retirement. The more nuanced kind of like side to it, though, which is really interesting, is how it ties into the theme of the movie. Because the theme of the movie is about want. It's about what we want mm -hmm. and what we feel like we need uh, as our purpose. purpose. You know what, what we feel inclined to always shoot for even if we don't always understand what it is we need we still need it and we still look for it that's what Vija's doing it's what Spock's looking for it's what uh, uh, Decker's going to ultimately make his choice based on and it's what you know so even though there's a little bit of shadiness in how he's doing it it does kind of feed into that ultimately this is where he belongs and it's what he needs to be doing and yeah it fits into the themes but it, it, you know it, it is a, a little unlikable quality which makes it more interesting because if you just have someone who's squeaky clean without any like you know hesitation yeah, he, or he's got to have an he's got to have a journey you know yeah. for the film so i think i think that's really cool and well one of my favorite little comparisons that i want to make actually is uh and this ties into spot what spot's going to go through but so there's a great scene where mccoy's beamed up and he's pissed about it and he's like he's like ah she invoked this little known thing about bringing someone back in after they've retired uh they drafted me and you know kirk's just kind of like admits they didn't draft you and he's like it was you you did this <laughs> and but what i love about it and this is the important he's part a, he's got a pike beard also yeah this is the important part though is that kirk says you know he missed that it was him he's like it was you and he's like yeah like i need you there's something out there it's coming for earth i need you and he emphasizes that and he shakes his hand and he says permission to come aboard and he's there's like a sort of friendship welcoming at that point and i think that's very important for contrast because then when Spock comes aboard, Spock comes aboard, and obviously there's the initial scene where everyone's happy to see him, and Spock no-sells it. He just is cold, he's calculated, and you know, Kirk tries one last thing in that scene to say, hey, Spock, welcome aboard. And Spock just kind of, again, completely cold, no emotion. Because yeah. you know, Spock did soften by the end of the show, and he did have these little jokes with them. 
here he's back to being cold and blah 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 and all that but the bit that compares it to the the mccoy scene is after spock goes and fixes the warp core problem to get them warp warping again right <laughs> everyone can warp uh everyone do the time warp uh, there's a scene with the trio right the core trio where he goes to see kirk and mccoy and there's they have this conversation and what's really noticeable here really great set yeah with the window and you see the stars behind them and uh it's good stuff the orange sofas yeah it's, uh, it's great set but what's poor about this is that kirk it mirrors the scene with bones from earlier because kirk um says to spock i need you there's a little bit of dialogue first but he says i need you right i need you here and he says it the same way pretty much that he said it to bones the idea being that he needs his support system he needs the people around him that make the enterprise what it is and spock just very coldly says he doesn't get emotional he doesn't shake his hand he just coldly says well since i need to go out there to get this thing because i sense like i'm drawn to it it's convenient that for both our purposes and it's very cold and it's the complete opposite of how bones uh, responded to him mm-hmm. saying that he needed them uh which plays into his arc and th- probably one of the best moments of the whole film is the first time he actually calls him jim which is after he has his 2001 journey where he comes back and he wakes up and he says jim uh it's the first time he says it in the whole movie because uh, yeah. up until that point he's just captain it's just captain or admiral uh the whole time right that's uh, really good but yeah. I, I love that it's contrast. hard for the fans too to watch like because we we know this friendship so well not just as a trio but just the duo between mm. kirk and spock and like seeing cold spock is pretty hard you know and especially cold to to kirk like they they have a this this uh friendship this bond that you know even uh, kirk can't doesn't you know he has to bring everybody back in order like he was ready to just substitute another vulcan just as a replacement you know um, he asked for another Vulcan because when the Vulcan dies in the transport beam, he's asked beam, specifically yeah. for a Vulcan science officer. He wants another Vulcan, and then uh, Decker's like, "Sorry, there's none, there's none left in Starfleet for the fill this role." <laughs> I love that the first thing that happens to Captain Kirk when he takes over is that two crewmen immediately die. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm still the right man for the job. Hey, <laughs> uh, look. You know what? Losing some red shirts is part of the price of doing business, okay? That's just how they're, I operate. Uh, I believe they're called beige shirts in this <laughs> one. <laughs> um, no, because I think when Spock goes on his little journey, because he goes out in his little thruster suit, and he has his like, you know, Jupiter moment where all the bright lights are going past him. It's very pretty and all the rest of it. And he comes back. Yeah. His arc of the film is that, you know, he was about to go through the, the, the culminar. Is that what it's called? Culinar. Culinar. Uh, where he's going to expel what's left of any emotion, right? And they all understand that that's what that is. You know, Bones and uh, Kirk are talking to him about it, and they understand that's what he was doing. And his arc for the film is that he was ready to expel that, and he was drawn to this anomaly, and by trying to mind meld with the anomaly when he's doing his Jupiter moment from 2001, is he basically comes to this realization that this thing, this what he discovers is it's a machine entity of some sort at this point. This is when we first discovered that. He says it's devoid of emotion and he holds Kirk's arm and says this simple feeling it's not capable of. And it's in this moment where Spock's realized that he needs to keep this. He can't let yeah. go of it. And that's what makes his arc so fascinating to me is that he's he's downplaying any emotions he's ever had. He's trying to get rid of all the ones that we saw him kind of grow and like get over the course of the original right. show. So this moment where he's like, you know what? No, I need this. It's, that's why it's so uplifting because it is so hard to watch him be cold to Kirk and Bones throughout the rest. 
you know and he was he was always like a sly prick about it but he did have he did crack little jokes you know there was a certain point in the original show where he'd start saying really logical things but it always felt like he knew he was being funny like he yeah. knew he was saying a little dig of bones yeah uh, <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah it's uh spock is such a cool character because they don't really talk about it too much in the original series but like he is half human but mm-hmm. he always treats himself as a Vulcan, like because everyone always addresses him as a Vulcan. But like he is a man that's like torn between two worlds. Um, is he does which, he go towards his Vulcan side or his human side? Like which one is he going to embrace? Which does kind of fit into the you know, what Vedra does at the end, where it kind of becomes like Spock in the sense that it's like becomes half human. Yeah. So he's right. but he's he's trying to like he's going through the Colonar thing presumably because he wants to give up his human side like or he at least wants to he thinks that this is the next step for him being better is to go completely logical and to be devoid of emotions completely so that he can just focus on understanding and being able to learn as much as possible which is exactly what Viger is designed to do so when he has that moment where he mind melts with it there is this this moment where he's like well Viger has everything that I'm aspiring to but like times a million and it's still it still needs something yeah it still yeah. it still wants it still needs and uh, yeah like yeah, i this think this movie's so good yeah, it's good like yeah there's good there's good themes here there's good character things that you know all thematically linked together quite well um yeah like there's a lot to love here and yeah i, I think i think spock's the heart of the film in many ways i think spock's realization that he needs to keep his emotions is like probably the most heartfelt thing in the whole movie yeah um that's really sweet. So, because uh, it is heartbreaking when he first comes aboard. Uh, it's a big moment. Chekhov's happy to see him, and like Ahura's saying welcome, and Nurse Chapel, oh sorry, MD Chapel, <laughs> that is yeah, there. Doctor Chapel. Yeah, uh, like they, they all. Also, Yeoman Rand has been promoted to like Chief O'Brien status. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know what? I didn't recognize her. I saw her when I looked at IMDb when I got it up for to start recording, and I'm like, I don't remember her. She looks so. She must just look so different because she she's. Has, she doesn't have the beehive. She just yeah. has a wrap regular yeah. like french I, like thinking back french i know rap. who i know who she will be using logic to say oh it's obviously her in that scene but i still can't like picture and go oh, i rec- i recognize her from the original series <laughs> she still has a very yeoman rand moment where she has to turn away because the transporter mm. accident's happening but like she seems to be the transporter chief in this so uh i think what joe's funny about watching this now <laughs> Is I actually uh, recognize Mama Troy in it now because I because yeah. I hadn't watched Next Gen yet when I seen the last time I watched this or the first time I seen it even neither so n- right, now I yeah. watch it and go wait that's Mama Troy what's she doing here? That's Loxana, <laughs> the voice of the computer. That's yeah, she's uh, the queen of Star Trek. Mm. But you only recognize her as with her uh, like her bleached platinum hair. Well, she has dark hair in this, does she not? Well, she has dark hair in this, but it's like, is that why you didn't recognize her before? Well, she has dark hair in Next Gen. I, I, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying that you only recognized her in this because of Luxana Troy. Well, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Meaning that maybe you had trouble before because she didn't have her platinum blonde Nurse Chapel hair. <laughs> well, okay. What I'm saying is, is that here she still looks like her in Next Gen, right? Obviously, she's yeah. dressed way different, like whatever. But like, I, I've never been able to recognize. I never, I've never went back and watched the original series and recognized her in that as, like, two years later. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, hair makes a big difference. 
I, I am aware that she was in the original series, but she obviously. <laughs> it was. It's not just hair, the hair, hair though. In attitude, like she's very calm in this. Yeah, I mean, it's also a bigger time jump <laughs> as well. Sure. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, but yeah, they're all excited to see Spot, and he just like is just so dismissive. He's like, I, I, I must solve this. I must fix this. Uh, also, you deck are giving my chair back. That's where I sit. <laughs> get, get, get moving now. <laughs> so I know he's been demoted mm. to science officer. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's executive officer, which we never really. Ha- that's funny. We never really had that in the original series, which is something that I feel like most have had since is the number one. But there was never mm. a number one yeah, in the original no series. Like so. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, so. Yeah, Kirk and Spock's like character arcs for the movie really like them, especially Spock's. Mm-hmm. Spock's is really good, and uh, it feeds into the themes of what we're doing with Viger and uh, Ilana and Decker. And we haven't even talked about Ilana yet, so or Ilia, Ilia, yeah, whatever her name is. Alia. Alia. There you go. That's it. So she comes on board, and she's got a bit of a pass with Decker, which, honestly, it felt a little bit like uh, Raker and Deanna yeah, to me. Totally. I was, getting, I was getting a little vibe of that. But she comes she's on board. Delton. And for some reason, like, Chekhov gives this really sly smile when she walks in. Like, uh, maybe he just, like, chicks from that planet. <laughs> he's into bald ladies. <laughs> he's got a thing, yeah. He's... I mean, she rocks the bald. She's a beautiful woman. But, uh, yeah, so they, they have some moments, and her big thing is that because there's, like, a series of, like, incidents on the way. To, obviously, the warp speed one is one of them, but there's also, like, when they get there, they, they get zapped initially. Eventually, though, the big thing with her is that there's this probe that is, like, a, a vertical, like, light or electrical line that sort of, like, appears in the bridge and is, like, it's, like, scanning the bridge and it eventually zaps her out of existence and, like, her uh, tricorder just kind of falls to the ground. Uh, but then she reappears, but she's not really herself. She's like a, a drone that the uh, Vijer's speaking through. But... In a very, very short outfit. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and they, they try it's to... cool. It's a great look. And they try to communicate with Vijer through her. They try to use the fact that she has an attachment to Decker because they still theorize that some of her emotions and recognition is still in there. So maybe that's well, a way we, they can... We see it also. Because like, when she first meets Decker when she's herself... Like, just a big smile, like, comes across her face and stuff. And when she's eventually taken to sickbay and Decker sees her as this, you know, whatever she is now, this new version of her, she starts to, like, smile again, although it's pretty weak, and then she says his name real slow. So I think that's, like, the moment where they're, like, there's still something about her there. Yeah, there's still, like, some recognition. There's still, like, these little, you know, reactions that, you know, maybe she doesn't even realize she's doing kind of thing. Uh but like, yeah. that's kind of like something they want to try and exploit and sort of figure out. And obviously, I think that the easiest way to talk about all this major stuff uh, is to just kind of work backwards in the sense that we'll just talk about what it is because mm-hmm. the mythology of this is really interesting. So Vidra, the big twist of the movie is that, because it's not until she comes aboard uh, as the sort of the drone speaking through her body that we find out that it's got a name and it's Vidra, right? That's whatever's at the center of this cloud is Vidra. And the twist at the end is that Kirk, you know, wipes some dirt off and realizes it's actually Voyager. And it's actually the Voyager 6 satellite, which was relatively a recent thing when this movie was made, uh, has traveled so far in space that it encountered a a planet full of machines and artificial intelligence. 
that then built this a ship so it could fulfill its purpose and they read its purpose very literal which is to just like collect data and like beam it back to earth so the whole movie we keep hearing it's looking for its creator and obviously it turns out well its creators us as humans that's that's what the creator is and it wants to share its knowledge it's longing for its creator but it's experienced so much in the way back from this distant place in space that it's become sentient that it is become a life form of some kind which I do love that idea that this like old satellite just became alive because <laughs> it's oh, been out there so yeah. long. I, I also love that this planet that it runs into is so intelligent and is, and is able to like create um, this this ship for the V'ger and to and to ship it back and everything that it's experienced. I, I love that and that it never thought to like wipe some dirt away. <laughs> to see what the real name of it was i think that's so dumb but i love that it's in the movie <laughs> um well i wonder if they even i don't think it's them that named it though i i because I, I wonder if it's like so, v- so like feature named itself yeah I, eyes i think like, how would it know that it's not voyager <laughs> well because it, it wouldn't be programmed with the name it's not like it had a computer on board that would have its name programmed into it i think like, I think it has cameras. I think, you know, it sees through uh, Aaliyah and stuff like that. So I have to assume that part of its wanting and part of its need to, like, have purpose is have, having a name. And it probably uh, so saw... That was after it became sentient. Yeah, after it became sentient, it looked at itself. So when it's asked for a name, it's like, V'ger. <laughs> That's my name. Okay. I still think it's a bit of a stretch that, you know, just a little bit of dirt that you wiped off. <laughs> but I'm willing to go with it. Oh, I'm fine with that. I, I can roll with that. Because uh, yeah. some of the most beautiful shots in the movie is actually when Kurt bluffs his way in to like, going to meet V'ger because he's like, we know why the creator's not responding, but we won't tell you. <laughs> we'll tell V'ger in person. Yeah. Uh, hold him. <laughs> and, you know, V'ger throws a tantrum and starts like making a lot of noise. And But Kirk just keeps playing the bluff. and Because mm-hmm. uh, that's after Spock says it's like a child that's learning and you have to treat it like a child. They eat sort of like, okay, well fine then we'll treat it like a child but we get this it's like a, this the set and the, the the map paint it's like all these like hexagonal hexagonal like platforms that are all sort of make up the floor and it's it's really it's just really pretty and kind of really otherworldly and sci-fi yeah uh, but they get to the V'ger and they discover that it's basically just like sending out its old radio signal and because the earth doesn't use that anymore it's like oh we just need to like send back the original like acceptance code and it'll you know it'll be done uh, but V'ger actually sabotages its ability to receive the code and it's almost, this is what's great about it, it's doing what Kirk did, it's kind of bluffing because it wants to meet the creator in person yeah. uh, only to discover that it's it learning ca- from us it already is meeting the creator in a, in, you know, in a, in a sense uh, and this is when Decker's like, it wants to merge with a human, I'm game and part of it's because <laughs> he's totally into it, yeah and part of it's because he's in love with uh, you know, he's in love with Ilya and yeah she's still kind of in there so he's like yes i will merge with you and you can take my human like uh desires and like weaknesses and he's definitely the the obvious choice but it's also a sacrifice right because there's no guarantee that his consciousness is going to be saved like we know a little bit of Aaliyah still there but it's also she's been rebuilt Hmm. and part of the their speculation is that they accidentally rebuilt some of her memories 
while that, trying to reconstruct her. Which, by the way, the most 2001 moment, there's a few of them, but the most is where Spock's doing his Jupiter thing, and at the end of it, there's like a giant Ilya, like the Star Child. Yeah. <laughs> in front of him. And I'm with like, the, okay. with the glowy dot in the neck. Yeah, you're wearing your influences a little in your sleep here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, that's yeah. the greatest movie of all time, if you ask me, so please do. Yeah, so... Uh, so he does. He, we get this sort of like light sparkly light show as he's like sort of emerging, you know, he's transcending along with Viger into a new being. And they, because they even refer to it afterwards, like we think we just gave birth to a new like species or a new yeah. life form. They are just saying like there is a star baby. And yeah, it does feel very Star Trek at the end because McCoy cracks some jokes about delivering a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spock has some passive aggressive this and his jokes and. Yeah, and they're saying, like, this, I mean, perhaps they've created the next stage of our evolution, even. Like, if we need to, you know, get beyond our physical form, maybe we'll need the help of a a, a, a being that's just purely technology. Yeah, that's, you know, that's interesting sci-fi ideas here. And, yeah, we've glossed over, like, a lot of the little incidents, like, when Chekhov gets zapped at one point and gets injured, or... Uh, when he's bluffing, part of it is that V'ger's putting devices around the planet that might actually just kill everyone on Earth. So part of it's him saying, no, 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 you have to remove those, or we're not telling you why the creator's not responding. Yeah. Uh, things like that. Which is, you know... I, I, I think they're all fun little bits. Uh, but Totally. For, for me, it's more the journey and the character arcs and the themes that make this movie sing. It would have been nice to have more of the characters that we love from the show, like have more mm-hmm. to do. But this is very much like Kirk and Spock's film yeah. with the dash of McCoy. Yeah, yeah. That, that's always been the, the core trio. I mean, because I, I did notice that... Uh, I mean, Scotty's got some great moments early on, so he, I'd say he gets more than the rest of the characters do. Yeah, but he's I, got some, some great like eye, eye acting. Yeah, but <laughs> I also do notice that uh, like when, when he shows up in the bridge at the end, I'm like, oh yeah, we've not seen you in like an hour. <laughs> like he, he does disappear from yeah. the movie after a point just because of what his role is. Uh, also, this is like a minor complaint, but the the admiral or whoever that Kirk is going to see to get his like job back, um, it's so close to Ahura that like the first time I saw this movie, I got really confused because it sounded like they were talking about Ahura, and I'm like, why is Ahura got a say in this? Mm, I didn't I didn't catch that, but it, that would it, be awesome though if like Ahura actually became an admiral at the same time as Kirk. It would have been nice if Ahura had a little bit more to do. We get a nice amount of sulu counting which becomes like a thing in all the films yeah he's you know he's, he's there driving the ship like, yeah <laughs> so he does that's his thing uh so he, ca- he counts to nine and then uh that's it um, <laughs> that's that's his job i mean they all get to come back like i i, I mean maybe they all a, get a scene but that's about it maybe there's a maybe there's some small cameos for them but i, I don't remember like chapel and rand like having moments in the films after this i think this was just no, this first they're one not in them. yeah so at least they all get a chance to be the ensemble because um like I-, I think surface spot is a slightly weaker film than the film surrounding it of course but i do actually really love the first half of that movie when they're all like sort of like being mm-hmm. rebels and stealing the ship together uh, oh, yeah it-, it feels like some great camaraderie between them and i kind of dig that i think that's why four so good too because we get so much of everybody gets something to do yeah yeah no, that's true. And everyone gets a moment to shine. It's almost like they realized after after Wrath of Khan that like people love all these main casts. It's not just the core three, and they're still going to be the most important ones. But the, the rest of them all should have like you know proper 
supporting roles as opposed to just being around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lesson that Star Trek Discovery could learn <laughs> from. Yeah, there's a lot of Discovery in this, too. Or, they, I guess, you know, the reverse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think even, like, season one, Michael Burnham has that arc for her character of trying to figure out is she more Vulcan or human, you know, because she's raised culturally mm. Vulcan, but has to, you know, has to relearn how to have feelings again. It's much and worse, then, but yeah. It's the... <laughs> and then she has way too many <laughs> in season two. <laughs> it's much worse, but I can see the comparison. Uh... Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I liked about her character I saw in Spock in this, but yeah, I mean, uh, they sort of done her character dirty after season one i thought but anyway mm -hmm. this isn't a disco talk no no i'm sure we'll talk more about disco when it comes back for season five look forward to that <laughs> i am looking forward to it uh in the meantime though you can catch us being actually quite positive on strange new worlds uh weekly so uh yeah we'll see the third episode is out but i haven't watched it yet yeah well yeah by the time they get this though we'll probably the episode four reveal will probably already be up by the time they get this so probably so hopefully episode three and four we're still as as good as one and two <laughs> we're still positive <laughs> but um yeah uh yeah i think there's just so much i love about I, I love the slow pace of this i love that it isn't an action movie um and i think wrath of khan works well because there's this personal personal vendetta and it worked better for me having watched the original series than when it didn't like because I, I saw the movies all for the first time before i saw the original series like a long time ago Mm -hmm. And I think Wrath of Khan definitely benefited from me having seen the original series. In fact, so did this, to be honest. I think just, like, caring about the characters and, like, having the history with them makes what they go through in this movie, all the subtleties of it, just click way better. If you mm -hmm. care about Spock and Kirk and their relationship and their relationship with Bones and the comparisons between them and how all that usually works. Because if you know all that going in and all the little things that happen between them really click in this movie. If you don't, it probably is too... I don't know, too inside baseball almost, if you haven't seen the rest of Star Trek. I mean, not necessarily you have to see all of it. I'm not saying you have to see every episode, but I feel like you have to have seen a spattering of episodes and sort of know the dynamics to get what's not, you know, to see, feel what's wrong so that when it gets fixed, it feels like it's something's happened <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think because, you know, I grew up with a, a family of Trekkies. So, like, we had all the movies on VHS that had come out uh, when I was young, and we had a, a, quite a few episodes of the show on VHS also, because they released those. I don't know if they released all of them, but we had, like, Doomsday Machine and Trouble with Triples and all the highlights, you know. We had those on VHS, too. So I guess I watched them all together. But, you know, there's a long time where when I thought about Star Trek, I thought about the first six movies mm. more than I thought of the show. Yeah. It just, I, I mean, it's so easy to be a fan of just the films. And I've heard that people you know, who like Star Trek, the next generation, like the movies, but have not watched the original series. Which is a shame, because there's a lot of good stuff in the original series. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people just see the original series as, like, some of the more uh, kooky parts, like, you know, mm. like hippies in space and stuff like that. Um, and so, or, like, a lot of sexist and, and stuff. And I think that I people am. have a really, uh, you know, a misunderstanding of how actually progressive and awesome yeah show. Really i mean was. It, obviously those goofy episodes and it's very progressive for the 60s and obviously progressive for the 60s can maybe look not progressive enough by like later standards but 
you know, sure. even even next gen has that though where next gen has aged better than the original series but there's still the odd moment where me and connor watch it and we say we can see the good intentions here but clearly there's a couple of things that would be better if they try to tackle this now like you, there's yeah. clearly some old-fashioned ideas that are still kind of holding this back a little bit or something i like, mean even the way they wrote women in both series are, oh yeah are, are not great you know um yeah that, that's 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 fair yeah i mean we've we've complained about that and it's it's, but, it, I mean, they also had a black woman on the the you know the bridge of the ship. Oh, which that was, was a yeah. huge deal in the sixties. So that, that, that was a huge deal. <laughs> and a Russian, you know, but, that was like, a huge deal too. Yeah, but that's, that's that's kind of the point, though, right? Is the idea is that the future is so perfect that Russians and Americans are in harmony and like they're happy right. together. You know, that's the point. But with with the next generation, yeah, the plots that uh, Troy and Crusher tend to get usually suck and it's it's a shame and and it's usually a love story yeah it's usually romance which is just kind of that like what's the one thing we can do with a female character oh a romantic story like mm-hmm. can't can can't a woman have a crisis of conscience can't she have like a moral decision to make can't she you know just anything else you would write for a guy like anything like yeah like you can you can do all of that with a woman <laughs> all of it <laughs> <laughs> Like, the only things you can't do is maybe, like, a piss-up-the-wall competition. That's, like, the extent of what you're not allowed to do. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, but, yes. But this, this has been a, a motion picture discussion, so I should probably wrap up before we go rambling into just all <laughs> Star Trek. Uh, but, needless to say, there's a lot of DNA in this. That was always this. going to be a risk with me on here. That's true. But, like, especially since you, you get to talk about the new shows, but you don't get to talk about the classic shows as much because that's what i do with connor but yeah um so it's okay a little bit comes out i'm sure i'm sure the long time uh acers <laughs> uh, they voted for this for a reason so, they so, wanted me to talk about star trek uh if we, if we are the lead scientist in the experiment then they're all the the guinea pigs <laughs> no we don't experiment on animals <laughs> no not animals humans uh willing humans who give consent interns <laughs> here, here patron hold this substance that may explode in your face just to see what happens um but no no like uh i feel like they're probably excited to hear a little bit of classic track talk uh from mm-hmm. you since you are such a big fan um it is interesting revisiting this now with the the hindsight of watching most of the next gen seeing some things that clearly like was in the brain and became something on next gen that in many ways became Billy. you know as i said there was some troy and uh raker with a couple of the characters i do think troy and raker are better characters than than decker and Ilya. so uh well raker definitely is so troy's debatable <laughs> I, I really like decker and Ilya in this film i think they're they're both pretty strong actually good I think, performances good actors i think they're fine i think they suffer a little bit from being kind of like there for their purpose which almost makes them glorified red shirts in a way like not that they die in a yeah, silly but, way i but... mean he's got a, decker's got a pretty good dynamic going with kirk like and you can't deny that the way she's zapped by like a like a, a you know a pole of electricity is like it's not that much cooler than a puddle <laughs> you know <laughs> she is very uh she is very troy in this um but at least she's helpful though she does like yes. help uh check off to not feel pain of the of the electricity and i think she she dies technically because she is saving somebody else yeah that's fair that's fair 
Uh, and obviously Troy has more... I mean, not that, she, not that Aaliyah doesn't have personality, but Troy has a more normal... Because, you know, Aaliyah is kind of weird. Like, she's meant to... You know, she has that weird voice. She, you know, she talks a bit different. Like, she's got, like, a bit of more of an alien vibe. Whereas <laughs> Troy's technically an alien, but, like, even... No. I think she's just Indian. But <laughs> I think maybe she's Pakistani or something. Who? The actress, um, Persa something. No, she's. I'm, I'm talking. Not, I'm not talking about her accent. I'm talking about like she's got like a, they're doing a thing here with her voice. Oh, they're altering the voice. Well, not even. I mean, they're all, they alter it when she becomes different. But like, even before that, she's talking kind of in this like broken up kind of like pattern. Like she's got like a distinct, which mm -hmm. I I can't imagine how she actually talks. It, the, the, I've seen her in one other thing. She's in a uh, Warrior of the Lost World, which is a Mystery Science Theater episode. <laughs> Mm. And she talks kind of similar. Okay, okay. Uh, but maybe that's why they cast her. Maybe they liked her, her cadence because it was mm -hmm. a little different. But it, uh, what I mean is, I'm, I'm not talking about, like, her natural voice. I'm talking about, like, she, you know, between the bald head and the way she speaks and kind of the, kind of the, they give her this almost presence where everyone, like, like is impressed when she walks onto the, the bridge. Well, they kind of give her this aura. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like the, everyone's heard of Deltons before, but maybe this is the first time they've seen one. Mm, yeah. So, so I think that's what I got from it anyway. Yeah. So the point I'm making is is that's, that's distinctly more standout in terms of like everyone's reacting to it, whereas with Troy, it's like, ah, oh, it's a Balthazar, you know, thing. <laughs> a Balthazar? A Balthazar. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> She's a, a beta side. Beta side, that's the word. I forgot what the, I forgot the, the plot. She's a demon. <laughs> yeah, beta side. That's close enough. I knew, I knew that was wrong, but I thought I'd say it just to give you a chuckle. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. She's she's kind of demonic. <laughs> she, can re she can read minds. Well, not exactly. Yeah. She can read feelings. All right. Would you like to rate the motion picture? It's a 10. 10, 10, 10. <laughs> 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. <laughs> I love the film. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you didn't really need to ask. So, so it's a bit high. <laughs> no way. I, I, I mean, I really like the movie. I, I compliment a lot of it. I love how it looks. I love how it sounds. But um, I'm giving it a... What some people would probably still call far too positive, but for me, it's an 8.5. Controversial. <laughs> Controversial. It's a perfect film. 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, say if we review the rest of these someday, are you actually going to try and seriously with a straight face give every single one of them a 10? Well, I mean, I love them, so it's not difficult for me to rate them 10s. <laughs> Yeah, you can't get five or ten. It's not. I love five. It's not a ten. It's not, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> it's not even. It. It makes a great movie. Like Star Trek Five is very aptly named because it's probably about a five. <laughs> well, then we should do that one next. No, 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 skippies. No, 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 no. We'll no, do no, that no. next week. No, that's definitely coming not happening. Coming up next week on the Ace. That's, not what's, coming, that's not what's coming up next week. Don't listen to her. She knows not <laughs> what she speaks. Frontier. No? Okay. Oh, I also looked up um, 
what won the Oscar for best score that year. And it's a movie called A Little Romance, which is a rom-com from 1979. Look, it's got decent ratings. IMDb mm-hmm. has it as like 7.4. But there's no way that that music's better than this score. All the other stuff it was nominated for, I'm pretty sure lost to Alien that year. Because it's like special effects and stuff. And design. Uh-huh. Which, you know, fine, that's a masterpiece too. Well, I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers for the month. So thank you very much to Tyler Hess, Cindy Pelicius, David Short, Bordenow, Christopher Moy, David Brown, Al Tradesman, and Alison M. Fordyce. They are patrons at one of the higher tiers. Uh, but you can support us for much less than that, can't you, Tara? That's right, Peter. If you enjoy our reviews, please check out our Patreon page. Where if you donate as little as one dollar per month, you'll get access to bonus episodes of reviews. We tend to review our more B movie lineup for sci-fi over there. Um, you can find reviews for like the Tremor sequels, which we're working through. Um, we also do fun little sci-fi gems like The Giver. The Brain was kind of fun. Um, who knows? Maybe your favorites over there. And if you donate at the five dollar level. You get access to these episodes one day early, and you get to vote on what we watch once a month. And thank you to all the patrons who voted for this film. Thank you. Well, hopefully you've enjoyed us uh, talking about Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, and we will see you soon with more science fiction. So thank you very much for joining us once again. We always appreciate it. Keep watching sci-fi and computer at Salsa.